0: Hello and welcome to Brokernomics and in this episode I don't know what I'm going to call it yet at the time of recording but I basically just wanted to give a big brain dump on all the kind of stuff that I'm thinking about and I want to try and tie together some of the themes that I've put out over the course of this series because I started off this series with doing a whole bunch of um, explainers on individual topics right and then I started getting into tying them together a little bit more and bringing in guests to discuss some of the ideas so now, what I want to do is take those ideas that I've explained uh, in a, in a compartmentalised way, the ideas that I've then discussed with guests and trying to try to explore a bit, and then sort of tie it back together and try and put it all in uh, in a bow to explain to you what I think the sort of most important thing that is going on at the moment is, and uh, yeah, basically put that in an explainable way. So, yeah, bear with me as I, as I just sort of you know dump a, dump a whole load of thoughts for you. First thing I probably want to cover is is the demographic angle um let's do let's do demographics, let's do um the debt crisis, and then how they are going to respond to the debt crisis because i think I think that's the thing that's going to be the driver of um well everything really i mean it's it's going to be the driver of um certainly what you're going to experience financially um, your um, your sort of your ability to interact with the world in a financial sense so the the purchasing power of your income the value of your assets and also that is in turn also going to drive the political process it will drive a lot of populism um, and and a lot of this is is going to stem from a whole series of factors which hopefully I'm going to lay out if I can, if I can keep this consistent and I think the first significant fact that I want to start my story with is, is going to be demographics. This is something that I've I've alluded to in the podcast a number of times. And it's also, um, like I say, it's it's been the theme of economics. So we we need to pick a starting point for this. So let's let's pick the baby boom. So um the baby boom is of course what we um what we call the um the the, the generation that the boomers came from, the baby boomers, obviously. So this is the period following the Second World War and, it, and I, think, I think it ranges from 1946 to 1964, and there was a significant um, birth rate increase. In, in, and, and, and throughout this, I'm gonna talk about the United States. It's basically the same for the UK as well, um, and pretty much most of Western Europe, although other countries are on their own cycle. So for example, Japan, which we come to later if we get into yield curve control, which I think we should, um, they are on, basically they've got the same problems we've got, but shifted 15 years earlier. So throughout this I'm going to be talking about the US um, and those are the key dates for them so right so what does it mean if you've got that birth rate spike so lots of extra births occurring between um 57 and 61 those were the main years of of the baby boom um well retirement age is 65 that peak cohort is going to retire between 2022 2026 okay and that has major implications for um, the US and the rest of the world who, who, who share these issues as well. Um, it's going to be that large-scale large-scale retirement, which is going to drive the dependency ratio up significantly. What do I mean by that? I mean the, the proportion of people who are working in relation to every retired person. So back in the 80s, when a lot of the policies that we're going to discuss the policies that are causing the problem, so basically the government spending. Um, things like in the UK, it would be NHS, it would be welfare, it would be pensions. In the, in the US, it's going to be uh, Medicare, Medicaid, um, Social Security, all that kind of thing. Most of those policies were either put in place or, or seriously ramped up and gold-plated and all of those things um, in, the, in the 80s and early 90s. In the '80s, the dependency ratio was something like four to one. So you had four working age population people for every retired person. Um, that is steadily working down. I think we I think we dip below three at this point, um, or, or we will do over the next couple of years as we get into this period, which, like I say, the, the peak cohort of boomers are retiring. Um, and by the time you get up to the um, the late '2030s, when the whole baby bo- baby boomer um, cycle has has played through, you get down to a dependency ratio of about two to one. So you're going to have two people working to support every retired person. Now, obviously, two people working to support a retired person is significantly different from four people working to support a retired person. So you're going to have, you know, uh, an increased burden placed on younger people. And that's just one effect. That's just that's just one obvious effect. Um, actually. The the implications as you start to run it through are are significantly beyond that. I mean things like um, healthcare changes in um, consumption of the financial products used, the financial demands, the way money moves around, which in turn drives politics and and, and a whole bunch of other things. So um, this aging demographics, what's it going to do? It's um, well, it's going to increase um, uh, public spending, in, in entitlement spending, as the as the Americans would call it so basically older older people consume more healthcare. care um, they're eligible for more social security benefits um, the workforce reduces so of course the the tax base is reducing um, which so you've got expenditure going up and you've got uh, tax incomes coming down at the same time you've got that lower economic growth um, which is which is going to slow down the economy um, why is there lower economic growth well, well a number of factors let, 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 let's segue into what, what GDP is, and this is something I want to keep coming back to, but I, but I, think, I think I'll introduce a concept here. GDP growth is essentially population growth, uh, productivity, and you can add debt on as well, and actually that's, that's a significant factor that we need to come back to. So, so population growth, back in the 80s, like I said, when these policies were being established, you saw a working age population increase of about 2% a year during that, that period of the 80s. So basically your GDP growth started at 2%. You you got that as a given, that was a freebie. On top of that, you can add whatever productivity increases there were. Over the long, long time periods, productivity increases tend to level out about 1.5%. Um, and then you get any debt on top of it as well. Debt growth back then was a thing; it wasn't it wasn't as significant, certainly not as significant as it is now. But but anyway, GDP growth you're you're getting like three and a half percent before you've even really tried um, to do anything clever. So as, and you know uh, that that debt that, that debt shouldn't automatically be thought as a as a good thing in this. And, you know I I I'll come back to explain that more. But the point is you had high GDP growth over that period. Now of course what you've got now is you, is that population growth element has just collapsed I mean that's that's just gone you can see why western governments are so in favour of basically importing as many people as they possibly can because the um the financial calculus that we base our entire system on doesn't work when that population growth element disappears you can't just rely on productivity unless there's a productivity miracle Um, Now, there might be a productivity miracle coming. I've covered that in, I think, my Big Ideas episode when we talked about the effect that robotics and AI could have. Um, You know, you could see a significant uplift in the productivity rate if those things were to wash through in the way that it looks like they might. But those things are also going to be disruptive and they're going to be jobless and all those sort of things as well. So you can't necessarily take that as a given so the only element that we, which is completely fungible by governments is that our last element which is debt so to recap gdp growth population growth productivity uh, growth and debt the heavy the heavy lifting is being done by debt obviously and that's that's that is a follow on effect from this demographic imbalance that we're getting okay um what else does does aging do so what I've covered um the next thing is probably higher debt servicing costs um so basically as the spending commitment goes up there's there's more of a need to issue more debt um which is going to have an effect on price um which is going to increase the servicing costs so I, I will come back to that because that needs to be explained properly there's an investment in balance because basically older people don't like taking risks i mean why would you i mean if, if you're 80 um why are you going to put money into some high volatility asset or something that might come good over the period of years now you you, you're going to go for for low risk investments so you're going to go for um, bonds effectively something something similar that something uh, you know nice and simple because you don't you you don't want to you don't want to play the odds you just want to you 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 just want to the the surety in, in in your remaining years um Pension liabilities is, is, of course, going to be a big thing uh, because, again, while a lot of these policies were put in place, um, the the pension drawdown, the net drawdown, was a, a future uh, a future event. Now it's very real. the 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 um, The yield needs to be found, so that's going to that's going to drive that difference. Um, oh, consumer spending—that's another really important point. As people retire, their spending drops quite significantly because they're now in a position of knowing that i have this much money to last me for the rest of my life how long is the rest of my life i don't know you know maybe i've got another five years after i retire in which case you know spend away but actually um unless you've got a nasty diagnosis you don't you don't know that you, you might live to 95 or you know so the the only way that you can get, because you don't you don't you don't want to be you don't want to get to 90 and run out of money. I mean, that, that'd just be a bloody disaster. So the it, it happens. Oh, People retire and their spending pattern changes quite dramatically, um, which has then a, a knock-on effect on the economy. Um, another thing that is measurable with this is, um, I don't want to say political conservatism, because that's, that's missing the point, really. It is a political resistance to change so the an aging population are starts to become very resistant to change because it could disrupt the status quo which they've got a, they've got a sense of stability in and they can predict and they can they can understand and they they've they've they've, um, they've planned for all those sorts of things so you get that sort of um, calcifying of the political uh, of, of the political system that's the influence that the older populations have and of course they vote they are they tend to occupy the donor class they tend to be the people that are listened to most um and that's really happening at a time now where the political system needs some fundamental change. So you start to get this more and more this this uh, intergenerational um, inequality, um, intergenerational tensions. Um, you're seeing it now with some of again we, we're, we're kind of focusing on the U.S. here, so you can see this is the way that some of the you know young younger um, uh, members of, of government, like Matt Gates, for example, is. Um, tearing at the systems um, that that don't want to change, you know the way that bills go through all that all that kind of stuff. Okay, so that's the backdrop. Um, the ba- we are having to wash through this baby boomer generation, and that demographic time bomb is landing now. Like I said, between twenty twenty two and twenty twenty six, that combined with the the surging debt reason is not unrelated to the surging debt, but the surging debt and the and the debt spiral situation that we got into. Remember, with James Lavish, we talked about the debt spiral. I need to probably explain all that. So, so let's see how am I, how am I going to explain all that. Basically, this debt can't be can't be paid. It, it cannot be paid. It's I mean that's it, that's just maths at this point. It's it's not going to be paid off in the in the honest way that you would expect when you when you took on that that debt in the first place it can be debased okay and i'll I'll come back to that in more detail is exactly what's going on there as to as to how it's going to be um debased or how it is likely to be debased and everything is debasing along with the currency so well i mean everything everything really so i mean even gold even gold is if you re-denominate the value of things or the price of things in and the way i prefer to look at this is the growth in the central bank um balance sheets although let's simplify that total amount of money is going up okay um the total amount of goods and services is increasing but not as fast what's the price of something it's the total amount of stuff um, denominated by the total amount of money and if the total amount of money is going up um you need to constantly re-denominate everything in this bundle by the total amount of money so everything in this um pocket the things goods and services is is losing real value against the amount of money that is going up and by everything i mean even gold which is is which shouldn't do this i mean historically it hasn't done this but but even if you divide gold, re-denominate re- gold by the growth in the central bank balance sheets, even that has lost value. Stocks have lost value. The, the S and P five hundred or the FTSE one hundred, they have not kept up with the growth in um, in equities. I mean, they've, they've done a hell of a lot better than than wages, but um, but no, they they haven't even kept up. Even property. That would surprise most people. Property has not kept up with the um, um, with the debasement of the currency however most people use leverage they use a mortgage when they're buying property so actually they they you do come out ahead on property as long as you're using leverage because of course if if you're using leverage um if you're if you put 10% down on a property um and the other 90% is debt well that well the other 90% in the mortgage that is a fixed um you know whatever it is a million pound mortgage that million pounds doesn't doesn't um go up as the debasement of the currency is, is going the other way. So actually the uh, the debasement is eroding your debt element of it, which which could make up, you know, whatever it is 90%, 80% of the total value of the property. So you're only really concerned with the 10% while the other 90% is being being destroyed for you. So so you do you do come out ahead on property in the way that most people actually do it, even though property on face value, even that doesn't keep up with, with the debasement of currency. There's only a few things that have actually kept ahead of the, the debasement of the currency, and that is, um, well, Bitcoin, Bitcoin has, and um, high growth stocks, so basically tech growth, things that have got a tech edge, you know that has, that has kept ahead of it, um, which incidentally is, is where I tend to position my portfolio. You know I like, I like Bitcoin, as you know, and I like um, tech stocks. Um, they, they've had a, a rough period for the last couple of years, um as we came out of one liquidity surge following COVID into a um um into a tightening of, of liquidity conditions. So those things have had had a bad couple of years. But but overall, I continue to believe that they will do well in the long term because for the reasons that um I'm going to be outlining in the in the next few minutes, I, I can only ever see this liquidity level going up. Okay, so what do I think is happening? I think central banks are probably at the moment they're trying to overdo rates so they're trying to raise interest rates um, probably probably knowingly too high because what they need to do is, is as soon as possible find an excuse to cut those rates and get them down and refinance government debt they have an overwhelming need to debase their currencies their debt um, so they're not so, you know, the Fed, um, the U.S. Treasury Department, Western governments, none of them are trying to pay off their debt. They're trying, they're trying to erode it. Why do I think that they're, they're trying to engineer a bad outcome at the moment? So overdoing rates, overdoing a whole bunch of things in order to push it down. Well, basically, because where rates have gone up to now, I think the Fed Funds rate is about 5.3% at the moment. Every, all the time it stays at this, this higher level, well certainly higher than we, we've, we've had since 2008, more and more debt is being rolled over at this higher rate. And quite a lot of this debt comes due in 2024. So if you keep rates at this higher level um, throughout 2024, What you're going to get is and again i'm focusing on the us here but again same for everywhere you're going to get the us having to roll over a substantial part of its vast debt pile at these higher rates which moves up the interest bill that they're having to pay so let's flesh this out with some numbers so like i say fed funds right now is about 5.3 percent um us debt is i mean it's it's kind of rocketing up at the moment but it's I, i believe it's 33 and a half trillion at the moment 33 and is, is the US debt okay now they are paying the current um interest expense payment is is about seven hundred seven hundred and fifteen hundred million or to put that another way um 0.7 trillion so they're paying out a significant amount of money but but you you express that 715 100 million um as a percentage of the the total 300 you know 33.5 trillion in debt basically they they're paying a net um about about 2% at the moment is what they're paying on their on their on their vast debt pile so when you put the rates up you don't immediately start paying out a higher rate on all of that debt you basically wait for it to to come due so so this debt is issued in in multiple multiple tiers so so some of it is in short-term notes and bills um, you know it, you know it might be issued debt might be issued for a two-year period um, and it's issued at whatever the, the interest rate is at the time um, but you also get five-year notes 10-year notes 30year notes and so on. so if a if a 10-year note was issued to uh, well, say four years ago 10-year note was issued four years ago when rates were basically zero, even though interest rates have gone up now, That doesn't mean that the interest rate they have to pay on that debt has gone up, but it will in six years time when they when you get to the end of the 10 years and then they need to refinance it, they need to roll it over because then you need to roll it over at the higher rate. So let's just and and it's not as simple as this, but but it will make my point. What happens if you take that whole 33 and a bit trillion and you roll it all over at 5.3 percent? Well, now, instead of paying 0.7 trillion in interest, you're now paying 1.8 trillion in interest, which is 1.8 trillion in pure interest. That is a staggering, staggering amount of money. That would basically move it to the biggest line item that the U.S. has. So to put this in perspective, the the, the biggest line item that the U.S. currently has is Medicare, and that's 1.6 trillion. That is a huge bill but uh, if if you roll everything over at 5% then interest becomes bigger than your biggest line item um after that i believe it's it's social security at 1.3 trillion and it's um um defence or, or i should i should more accurately say war um that costs them 0.8 trillion although yeah it, it, it's it's more than it's more than 800 million there's a whole bunch of other stuff but yeah officially it's it's 800 800 million. So interest would move to the top of that, right. Now, bear in mind that the US revenues, what, it's, the, what the, the level of federal taxes it's collecting are only um, 4.3 trillion, okay? And the US is spending every year 6.1. So the US is running an annual deficit at the moment of, of 1.8 trillion. Again, a vast amount of money, and that's with, the, that's with the relatively low interest rate that we get at the moment. So if you have to basically roll over all of this debt at the 5%, if, if we're doing that, you take that deficit of, what did I say, 1.8 trillion, roll it over at this higher rate, and that deficit now goes to 2.9. So call it, call it, call it 3 trillion a year, a 3 trillion a year deficit, so that's 3 trillion that has to um, now be financed by other debt. Again, th- these are absolutely staggering sums. I mean, what could what could fi- what, what could three trillion buy you? I mean, I watched I watched um, the um, the film The Counselor last night, the, the dudes driving around in a Bentley Continental. Um, they cost about um, about two hundred and fifty, don't they? Two hundred and forty. Um, Thousand dollars. So with three trillion divided by two hundred and forty, that's about uh, twelve million. So you, you could buy twelve million people at Bentley Continental with that level of government debt. I mean, it's it's it it, 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 it it's simply vast numbers. And actually, I want I want to give reference to a bit of a debate that's in that's in macro at the moment so people who, people who look at macroeconomics because I was listening to a, um, a, a Twitter spaces um, the other day where and, and this is this is a common theme so so the macro people are kind of dividing into whether they believe rates are going to stay at these higher rates or whether they're going to get pushed down. Um, there's the higher longer higher for longer crowd and then there are those of us who believe that debt tends to dominate this stuff. The higher for longer people are saying that they have a lot of faith in um central banks and they and when central banks say we're going to do whatever it takes to get inflation down they believe them and they're saying oh yeah um, um you know the federal reserve will or jerome powell he will he will take rates to seven percent fourteen percent you know whatever, whatever it takes in order to get this inflation down i mean to put that in perspective if the us were to put rates to seven percent a year um your deficit would go to three and a half trillion if I've got that right um three and a half trillion a year so that would be um that's not going to happen i mean that, that 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 that's just that's just broken it. Almost certainly what's going to happen before we get to that point is some sort of control mechanism is going to have to be put in place in order to, to, to suppress these rates to get them down. That's um that's yield curve control, that's that's financial repression. I will come back to those, but let let, let me build up to it. And and those are very viable, by the way, but it's been proven by the Japanese, they, they will just sort of hold these rates. So, but again, remember my point from above. GDP growth is, is population growth um, plus productivity plus debt. And we are now in the situation where basically all GDP growth is being consumed by servicing the interest on the debt. We are in a, we are in a, a, a debt spiral and that's why we can't, in my view, up rates to these levels because you're just going to accelerate that that debt spiral decline. what you need to do is you need to get the the rates that are being paid um, uh, below the rate of inflation and you need to let that that debt erode. So yeah um, so GD, so GDP growth um, population growth productivity, debt add them together gives you your population uh, your, your GDP growth which by the way is very much worth remembering next time you hear a politician talk about um, you know line go up because you often see politicians do this they they start talking about how oh look at look at us compared to somebody else you know we've had better you know we, we've had 1.1 GDP growth compared to their um, you know 1.05 GDP growth this proves that we're doing well blah 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 well not really no it doesn't bloody matter does it because um it it depends how you achieve that gdb growth If if you're just doing it through um importing people or um higher debt payments you're not adding value to the to the individual um i think i think we all know that we've ended up getting a lot poorer over the last couple of years because um currency was debased so much you know prices have gone up wages haven't haven't gone up i mean you could have positioned yourself um in in assets that rise faster than um the rate of debasement but the vast majority of people didn't um the ruling class often did which is which is which is why they're so comfortable with it um but yeah um and and the other thing with that equation of course is that because wages have been stymied by this mechanism in fact wages real wages haven't gone up since the 1970s so um you know it's very easy for the younger people to have that sort of intergenerational um resentment against you know the the zoomers against the boomers for example Um, and the boomers did do very well if they embraced debt and then put that debt to work in either the stock market or property or 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 best of all if, if they did both if they did that they did do well but the boomers throughout their working life, they've never seen a real terms increase in wages. So um, if, if, if you're a if you're boomer with assets, you've done well, but in, in assets financed through debt, you've done well, because basically that debt's been eroded for you. It's the same mechanism as governments are, uh, are trying to do at the moment. Um, but what basically everybody from the boomers onwards has done is they've tried to make up the difference between the um, flatlined real wages. So, so what I'm, uh, you know what I mean by real wages adjusted for inflation. Wages. They, they've tried to make up that difference with with debt. Um, and a and a word on debt, because we have got ourselves into, and and by we I mean both the population and and governments of using debt very destructively if you borrow to invest in something that will give you a greater return over time that that was a good use of debt you know for example if, if you're you know this is the example i get to, if, you, if you're a farmer and it takes you an extremely long amount of time or or, or very labor intensive to get your crop in and then you go out and you spend money on a combine harvester and it increases your your profitability going forward. That was a good use of debt because your your long term earnings have increased, and you know therefore you pay it off, and then it then it adds adds value beyond that. Um, what I've been describing over the last ten minutes or so is is actually an incredibly destructive form of debt, which is we are which we are borrowing to consume immediately. We we are borrowing to pay for. Well, I gave you the line items um medicare social security and war that that's what the borrowed money um ha, ha, has gone for um now you might believe that each of those is is virtuous in itself um because of course you know we are keeping uh, we, we we are providing um medical care to older people um we're providing um social security to older people or, or pensions here in the uk Um, and we're we're blowing up places that look like they need to be blown up, you know, whatever your view is and all that kind of stuff. But my point is, none of that is going to yield um, greater returns in the future. It's all of that is consumption. All of it is sort of immediate use. So because we're now in that debt spiral situation, which I talked about, which is all GDP growth is being consumed by interest payments and none of it is, is accretive and adding value over time. Um, again, that pushes you further into that debt spiral. Your interest payments go up, your deficits go up, um, which pushes you into more debt. Again, none of this is, is, is accretive or, or benefiting you over the long term. Um, yeah, debt, debt spiral situation. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotusheaters.com.